1: hey what's going on you guys byron rogers here with another episode of executive protection lifestyle i am here with my friend jeff burson who's a lieutenant with uh police department in mason ohio how you doing sir i'm doing really well how are you i'm doing good i'm doing good so jeff and i ran into each other at uh epi at executive protection Inst- institute recently and um it was just good to go through the course with you. You know, you look through the room and you notice other people that are um, just moving through the information, kind of you know on another level, and um, they have a lot of. We had kind of values that I believe we were able to share during the course, and so there was some good connection and things like that there. You know,
2: absolutely. Um, it's it's. I think when people really connect with this type of work it shows you can see the ones who are are really dialed in where this is important to them and the ones who they do it but it doesn't it's it's not their life's mission
1: absolutely yeah yeah. the ones where it's just a job and the ones where it's more than just a job you know i think kind of now that you mentioned that i think one of the things that um we both shared with the work is that like, I do my best to try to be myself at work and have an honor. Like, I try to uh, use values that I would naturally honor if I was just minding my business. You know, so, like, I'm treating people the way they want to be treated. I'm trying to give people respect first. You know, like, this is the way I live my life anyways. And I, I superimpose that on my work product. Um, and I think that's kind of, kind of what you were kind of getting at a little bit.
2: Well, and, and it shows, Byron. I, I saw, and and there was. It's not that there was anything. Um, you can see it. You can see it. There were several people in the class where you could see this is incredibly important to them. This is what they do, but it's also who they are. <clears throat> and and you're one of those people where this is kind of what you are. Um, and and I, I appreciated that. And that's when you asked me, "Hey, what did you want to get together?" and, and talk about this absolutely because it's it's very clear that it's very genuine for you
1: well thank you thank you and that's kind of where we kind of connected too because i was feeling the same way we we're talking about you know just dealing with people and you know how to create that connection that then can lead to influence and then can also be a tool for you to do all kinds of things like problem solve and all that good stuff absolutely know. Good stuff. I love it. And that experience at EPI was positive. What would you say, just real quick, what would you say EPI was like for you, you know, going through that course?
2: EPI was a great experience for me. I, I have had some um, executive protection experience. Um, mine is a little bit different. Some of the people that I've been responsible for are terribly um, recognizable. So that's mm. that's doing things at a different level. Then I've worked with professional athletes that are recognized anywhere they go in the world, and mm. um, it, I really enjoyed it. But I learned, I, I learned a lot at ECI. They were uh, I thought that was good training, good group of instructors, and I'm I'm very glad I went.
1: Outstanding, yeah. The volume of information was impressive to me.
2: <laughs> yes, it was. There was a lot. <laughs>
1: you know, and I was waiting for them to turn the stress up, but uh, kind of their approach to adult learning, I was also impressed by. There were no stupid games, there was no stress, there was no need, it was just all about, like, creating a safe place for us to learn, which I had never experienced, because my, you know, it was like military training, <laughs> and then, like, cool guy stuff, so I was kind of like, when are they going to start, like, kicking the door in, and, like, you know, uh, but that was positive.
2: Well, and, and I think that that learning style, when you've got a group of adult professionals, mm-hmm. yeah. give people the opportunity to learn and retain a lot more.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's what I think I saw too, for sure. Okay. Good to go. Well, the, uh, I always start off with these kind of deep, deep understanding questions, sure. you know, uh, who are you at your core?
2: At my core, I am a person who believes in fairness. Um, is bizarre of a concept as that is for some. Um, I grew up thinking because of my life's experience that the world was basically fair. And it wasn't it was until I was a young adult that I figured out, Oh, the world's just been relatively good to you. That doesn't mean that it's fair.
1: <laughs> That's so good. That's awesome. Wow.
2: And then, but, but what I am is interested um, and committed to taking care of people. Um, I'm a protector at my very core. Um, <sighs> I believe in showing respect to people And um, I I really think that when you, as a person in a position of authority, show people respect, it absolutely comes back to you.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I agree 100%. And this, the world is fair thing is so so interesting to me, you know, because like my paradigm was like the exact opposite, you know, growing up. Um, so then how do you how have you dealt with things since like so you grew up thinking like this is pretty awesome you know and then the world kind of gave you a different experience how does that affect you these days like in your day to day
2: it has been fantastic for me and I'll, I'll explain very briefly here's what I mean by that I grew up um, life was pretty good um I you know, it, I I didn't have dangers in life, so to speak, just regular blowing mm-hmm. up things. But life was pretty good. Um, I did well in school. Teachers were very accepting. Um, got lots of positive feedback, so things went pretty smoothly for me. It wasn't until I became a young police officer that I recognized that many many of the beliefs that I held were absolutely wrong.
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: And that was a big, um, you know, we had talked about, you know, kind of what's that pivotal moment in your life? It was when I was probably 24, 25, and I had the this moment where I realized that a lot of the things that I thought for years absolutely were wrong. Yeah. That I, I had this idea that, especially um, in getting into some of it, if police arrested this individual, he or she must be guilty because that was done by the police. And I grew up in kind of a police family. Uh, <clears throat> and I believed that if somebody lived in poverty, perhaps that was the choice. If someone <clears throat> suffered from mental illness, well, that must be Not a choice, but it must be some type of a character flaw or a a kind of weakness. And it Mm. wasn't until I started dealing with people all the time, especially people in crisis, that I realized none of those beliefs were accurate.
1: Wow. And then once you made that realization, what did it do inside of you? Did it cause you to be more like... You know, did it get, did it cause you to be more compassionate? Did it cause you to kind of be like, ah, it's a scary world out there? Like, how did that affect you?
2: I okay, so I thought about these things, and I thought, okay, so here's what I want: I want to actually know what I'm talking about.
0: Yeah, this is a really good approach.
2: <laughs> I thought, here's here's what I'm gonna do. I'm a young officer, and I was recognized for being able to talk to people well. Talk people into my patrol car as opposed to fighting them. Talk people into leaving a a separation where you've got a domestic violence situation. And I thought, okay, this is good, but now I need to figure out why. And I need to get better at this. Um, I, I knew that things were going okay for me when I was selected early as a crisis negotiator. And why that became important for me is I never actually put in for it. Hmm. One of my assistant chiefs saw something in me and said, this is somebody who can do this job and can do it well. So I believe I I kind of felt like maybe I was getting along in my career because of kind of base level skills, but I, Hmm. I wanted to actually, I wanted to actually be good at it, mm-hmm. not just get by. You've always, yeah. I know you've known people in your life where they were kind of innately good at what they did, but yeah. they didn't put a lot of effort into
1: it. Yeah, they just took it for granted, and then I've always had to work like extra, extra hard to be like just as good. But then it ends up turning out that I get farther because the work ethic. <laughs>
2: No question about it. And I decided if I'm going to do this, I'm going to make this my career. And clearly I have, since this is now year 26, I'm in six. Um, I was going to be as good at it as I could possibly be.
1: Outstanding.
2: So, um, I made it my goal to do that. And I've taken every training opportunity. And now what I enjoy is I get the opportunity to teach crisis communication. Awesome. Yeah, it's it's very worthwhile. I teach it to to young officers and, and to people in the business world, too, because communication is universal. It doesn't happen. Absolutely. And I've had people when I was, you know, kind of looking at some things to talk with you. I've had people kind of ask me, why would people in the EP world need to know about crisis communication? And, mm-hmm. and I, because our best skills are avoidance. Skills are talking to people and getting voluntary compliance. It looks terrible if we have to. So why not get that voluntary compliance because you can communicate well?
1: Boom, there it is. I love it. That's the truth, man. That's that's exactly one of the reasons I was like, yeah, we need to talk." I find that social dynamics. Cultural dynamics and things along these lines tend to be the biggest hang-ups for guys. I don't. I find that a lot of what we do is really that complicated. It really isn't. But where guys trip is in these little spots where it comes to communication, cultural, uh, cultural understanding, the culture, blending with the culture, honoring the local culture of your executive or whoever you're working with. Um, that's good stuff. I'm excited to get into this. Uh, how did you get into doing what you're doing like how did you get into law enforcement you know
2: i actually it was all the way back in high school i it was a career day there was a detective who was in and there was actually a a special agent from the secret service who came in and after we finished their little presentations i walked out of there saying i'm gonna do something like that um it was fascinating to me i i liked that it was all about interacting, um, <clears throat> not a sit behind the desk kind of guy. That's, that's yeah. difficult for me. Um, so I, I like this career path. And uh, I made a decision. I was probably 17 years old and I knew this was the route I'm going.
1: Awesome. That's good, man. And it's just been laser focused ever since. That's good to go. Uh, tactical background.
2: Okay, tactical background. I've been very, very lucky. Um, My department has a a pretty robust budget. And and, um, we have really tried to get out in front of the threats that are going on in our country right now. We spend a lot of time. Um, Yes, there's, there's shooting training, but it's also, I mean, things like... Um, close quarters combat training. How many police departments get CQC training in and around? People? That's where some of our um, deadly force encounters occur. So, our cars. So we get things like that, sim munitions, um, all of the things that you can think of, and then we're armed today. When I started, I mean, we were armed with a pistol three magazines and a shot and a pump action shotgun today. We have battle rifles that are more sophisticated than some of our, you know, maybe not than, than our troops, but certainly of troops of other countries. Um mm-hmm. we're prepared and, and I think if it, a general rule law enforcement has realized we have to be prepared to engage in short battles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um and then the other portion of that is I've every every type of verbal communication and and de-escalation training. That's where your training needs to start. And then of course I'm uh, I'm not a big guy, so I, I spend a lot of time um, training in a, a particular martial art style that that lends itself to uh, just someone my size.
1: Outstanding. I love that, man. That's good to go. I think there's just a lot that needs to be said in our industry, and especially at this time when there's like really cool, cool training stuff out there, you know, and you can do all your like running and gunning. But um, yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for being able to get that voluntary compliance. It's like a martial art to me. You know what I mean? It's it's that art of influence, man. I, I have so many situations that I've gone through where thank god i could talk that man or woman off uh out of trying to trying to even get an autograph from a client at that moment or trying to you know take out their anger on the client or whatever it is you know uh wanted to make a scene at that moment and it was just because i dealt with them respectfully they're like okay <laughs> you know what i'm like Thank that's you and, and I would
2: I would urge you never lose that edge you're very very good at that and and that's thank you one of the things that I would recommend to everyone in this profession is to get as good at communicating as you possibly can it's, it's like everything else not everyone is going to be a sniper but everyone should be able to shoot not everyone's going to be a hostage negotiator but everyone should be able to communicate well
1: absolutely 100 so we were talking and you mentioned the lack of support networks that people have nowadays um what would you say about that and its implications on our society and where you see it work
2: well here's the social dynamic that i'm at least seeing in my industry is that we have we have a group of people especially younger people who have taken social media and instead of using that to augment or their social interaction, it appears to us that they're using it in place
1: of social in place and, of social action, the activity, and connectivity.
2: And and they're without that one-on-one, without that reading what the other person's doing and saying, and, and getting social clues and. Cues, they're missing so much of communication. When, when all you get is that typed word, you, you missed. And then, unfortunately, if you don't see that you have this incredibly human life on social media, I, I don't see the trials and tribulations of that. Really. All I see I, I see this the life, this Instagram life, or Facebook life It's not real. And and of course, how can I possibly compete with that? How do I keep up with that? So I think it, I think it lends itself to depression. I think we've got a whole group of people who feel very isolated, and alone, and um, when they don't have that support network to draw on, maybe they go out and look for different types of support. I think that's kind of what draws kids who don't have much as of a support network that draws. You know, years ago, it would draw kids into gang life because they're getting that social support. They're getting the uh, people who seem to care about them, want them to, uh, to be with them. Now <clears throat> on online, and one of the things that we saw at EPI in one of the presentations was the list of hate groups.
1: Yeah, it was. Spectacular. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing.
2: And that these, these people who put together websites devoted to a, a culture and mentality of creating another group.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: That's exhausting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't understand it, but that's, that's my worry. And then when... Because people aren't developing coping mechanisms, they're not being told no, they're not Uh interacting with other humans when Uh they're required to interact with other humans. Sometimes they act so far out of bounds that it it can be devastating. And, And I think we need, as a society, we need to,
3: I'm
2: not saying that social media is bad, but it's it's never going to replace interpersonal interactions
1: yeah i agree 100 uh like the whole bit about emotional intelligence that comes from learning how to deal with no and and, and, then learning impulse control in general you know the whole kind of pavlovian stimulus response like uh conditioning that we're subjected to through our devices. You know, like I remember when I first started my psychology courses and I'm learning about the dogs and the bell and Pavlov. <laughs> and I I'm like every time there rings a bell, he give them food, and then they start salivating. And I'm like, wow, that's really interesting. It basically sounds like he gave an iPhone. Like I'm sitting here like, yeah, my phone vibrates. Someone loves me on social media. Someone's text messaging me. There's a little bit of dopamine. And uh, now when I go to Iraq, I'm imagining a ghost phone in my cargo pocket for the first month or two (laughs) because my mind is like, come on, you know? Let me get that phone back.
2: And you, you, not literally, but in some ways you have some type of withdrawal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was noticing. I was like, this is a real thing. Like we called it the ghost phone guys would reach down and grab their cargo pockets and be like, Oh, ghost phone. <laughs> and we'd all be like, cause you know, having a phone is like, was like a no contraband. So we'd all be like, does he have, you know, everyone would notice it. It was a real thing on ship and in the sand. Uh, the other thing I think that you said was awesome is like, cause we're seeing all this racial Issue like the stimulated, like what I believe should be pretty dead topic. Um, but I've always believed that, um, what's gonna fix that is human beings giving each other positive interactions with one another that can really, uh, really be like in direct opposition of these ideologies that people grow up with. You know, like I'm in the Marine Corps and Texas dudes, like, yo. I mean, I never really liked black dudes growing up. And he's like, but I didn't know any, you know, and you're like pretty cool. And I'm like, yeah, dude, thanks, man. You know, I'm like, we're cool. You know, he's cool enough to tell me this, you know. Um, but with a lack of connectivity and a lack of interaction, it's kind of like a hotbed for these types of uh, misunderstandings and ideologies and hates, and, like un- illegitimate hatred <laughs> to really uh, fester and grow and last, you know. It's it
2: funny because that. First off, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I've asked people why well, hate this group. How many mm. of them do you know? Well, yeah. I'm funny. You don't know any. How yeah. do you know? What do yeah. You mean? Um, and and the other thing I think is, and this is a, a concept that I took from a class years and years ago, is if. if people from different groups are now sitting in the same room and they're talking with each other, maybe having something to eat. It's Mm -hmm. very, very hard to hate someone in that close of proximity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Because you're, you all automatically humans have an immediate connection with other humans. The idea that, it's so much easier to, to hate or to try to hate a person or a group that's removed from me, that's out there. Very, very difficult. Um, and that's one of the programs that our police department's involved in. is called Bridge of Life, and what it does is it pairs up a a police officer with a member of the African American community, and these are people who then pledge that we're going to get together. We get together about 15 times a year, have lunch, talk, and exchange ideas. Well, this poor guy I got paired up with, I asked him so many questions to please take these kids. together the same age. And he had young kids. His son was a college-age student and his father was in law school. I I had this guy take so many questions to kids for me because I was interested in that younger generation view of police and the law in general, and I wanted to be um, if it gets damaged, how do I fix it?
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: And, um, they were they were very pleasantly surprised, and they that I asked questions and I wanted that kind of interaction. But then they they had great answers for me too, so I was very happy because I asked them. Um, This was after a particularly high-profile shooting. I asked Mm -hmm. the question, are you afraid of me? I don't mean me as an individual, but me, Mm -hmm. what I represent. Mm -hmm. And they said, no, because that wasn't their life's experience. But basically, be yourself, smile, talk, um, be pleasant, be respectful, and it will stay that way. So a completely different generation but yet they completely understand and were able to put into words exactly what everyone else has already been thinking than mm. being kind being respectful when, when is that not appropriate
1: yeah exactly the, uh, yeah no that's exactly right it's um, yeah <laughs> I couldn't agree more man and that's I find too what's really interesting when I sit down and I talk to someone, if I ever get, if I'm ever lucky enough to run into someone who will like be like, there've been a couple of times when people have been like, I just don't like black people because blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, awesome. (laughs) You know, because then I can talk to you about it. Like, well, what's, what's going on, man? Like, what happened? And it's usually like they jumped my little sister on the way home from school, you know, and they have some legitimate gripe in there, (laughs) you know, and it's like, or like growing up, they used to beat me up all the time. And, you know, Treat me like crap because I went to an all black school. I'm like, okay, cool, I get it, dude. But uh, just having the conversation, not getting triggered because of whatever, uh, and being able to just listen to them and understand them. Um, I'm telling you, man, there's some magic in that. <laughs> you know, like, I've experienced it uh, for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. You know, so it's, that's good stuff. Um, what would you say? Hmm. So obviously gaining rapport with another culture group or we see this a lot in executive protection when you're going, when you're entering a venue, you're entering a culture. This is a place, you know, where uh, they have stars every week, all week. You know, you show up with your client and you're like, yo, we're the business. We're the coolest, most legitest detail ever. They're like, it's a slow Tuesday. You know what I mean? Uh you know, so that whole leading with respect, understanding where you're at, it gets us a really, really, really far, like really long way. I don't know. So I'm just, I'm just relating this kind of to what we do even in the, in the private security industry. Absolutely. Um, what would you say if you were going to give like ABCs about verbal de-escalation, you know? What would be the primary considerations uh, when you're speaking to someone and they're up here and they're stressed out and they're aggressive? You know, what are what are you trying to do? It's the ology. <laughs> well,
2: it, it's, it's actually, everyone wants to be heard. When people okay. are yelling, it's because they feel like they're not being heard. Okay. Um, there's an old adage that calm begets calm. Don't yell back speak softer than even your normal voice. Now they have to bring their voice down if they're going to have any attempt to hear you. I, it is very, very hard to yell at me if we, it, I'm not saying it's always safe and I'm not recommending you do this, but if you have somebody who's really amped up, sit down with them. How many people have yelled? Break their
1: body language.
2: Change the body language.
1: Change
2: your position. Um, It it works a lot. I'm not saying let someone tower over you, but if you both sit together and then if you can turn and look at each other, it it can be a situation where this will almost automatically calm people down. Um, Don't yell back. you're gonna need to at some point. You can't let someone just go on and on and on. But at the same time, hear them out. Um, and that's what don't don't ever put. I'm not saying put yourself in a tactical disadvantage, but I'm saying when someone's very very upset, it's for a reason. And if you can, if you have the time to listen to them, sometimes that's all they want. And they recognize you they may not even be able to solve what's wrong. <clears throat> But the fact that you were genuine in listening to them and taking them for the issue that it is, not, not being dismissive, yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually listening and, and being responsive goes you know, so, such a long way. Um, and the I want to do if, if at all possible, is people's have a tendency to be far louder, far more vocal, far more animated when they're in a group. Okay. If, if you can talk to that person separately, hey, I I see that you're very upset. Can we talk for just a minute and walk them away from their group? Defenses the come down. They don't have to put on a show, put on an air for the group to um, this person has a much better chance of coming back down to be more, far more like themselves. Um, and and also, you're showing that empathy. That hey, I'd really like to hear what it is that you have to say. If we move away from this group, I can hear you, and then we can have a, a decent conversation. It's uh, that that's the type of crisis. Um, communication for right there on the scene when you've got someone who is very, very upset and, and sometimes you don't even really know why you didn't see the precipitating event, you didn't see what caused this so what is it that I can do um, in taking that time who doesn't want that show of respect that I'd like to take it and actually listen to you would you please? And and the other thing that shows it, ask questions. Okay. Yeah. Um, everyone likes to explain their point. <clears throat> we we're talking about different cultures earlier. We, my community, is very very multicultural. And <clears throat> I didn't understand. So what I did is? I went to where as a group and said, and asked. I said, I'm going to be coming into, I'm going to be coming in for a mosque, to a mosque for the first time. I do not want to embarrass myself or offend Would you take a few minutes and explain to me what is the best way for me to handle this? I have never had anyone say, absolutely not, we're not going to do that everyone that approach is very willing to explain to you what is acceptable to how you, you manage that situation mm-hmm. nobody
1: yeah no one's gonna yeah absolutely because you're honoring them you know yeah. like you're honoring their culture and you're honoring, you're respecting them you know and so it sounds like de-escalation like ABC's it sounds like it's like understand show the person that you have a desire to understand where they're coming from. And if you can understand where they're coming from, you don't necessarily maybe have to validate it, but humanize yourself, (laughs) you know, take, take yourself, maybe change the environment so that you're not so, Hey, I'm the suit. And you're the, you're the normal person and, uh, try to hear them out. And then, um, maybe try to connect, connect with them by either doing what you can or telling them your situation. But they really just want to know that they're being hurt. Seems to be the
2: Absolutely. People want to feel like they're important enough that you're willing to listen to them.
1: Yeah. Awesome. No, I like it. Is there a certain mindset that you're in? Is it, are you kind of like, I guess it's kind of a compassionate, uh, You're trying to like, I know for me, I'm like looking at an equation, like how can I understand what this person needs and how can I either get it for them or give them some type of validation in place of it if I can't give it to them?
2: Well, it it is a mindset and it's also, it's a posture. Mm -hmm. Um, It's your, your physical posture, but it's also... They need to walk away with the understanding that you were sincere, and Um, which I think is what it means to be professional anyway. But to have the sincerity—I
1: haven't heard that before. That's good to be professional is to be sincere. Is this what
2: I, I think? There are definitely parallels that you can that you can draw if you're if you're not sincere in your efforts, it then. Are you the the top level professional anyway?
1: Yeah, it goes um, back to that congruence we were talking about between the guy who it's a day job and the guy who's who he is without a doubt. Wow. Okay, so, now that go ahead. Were you going to no say I more?
2: I think that I think that people I think people recognize when you're being open and sincere with them that even when you have to tell them, no, that listen, I. Uh, unfortunately there's nothing that i'm going to be able to do for you i can't get you back say i can't do this um i'm not able to do that i think people are in in general people are they, they understand they get it and they move on
1: and i think what's like this doesn't have to be like a whole long drawn out thing like yeah. i've done this this exact same thing within seconds and look someone right in their eyes and like hey I wish I can't help you with this, but, you know, maybe if you go over there, you might get to see him on the, you know, like I I've been able to do this multiple times quickly, very quickly and efficiently. And I've also seen the guy who has done the exact opposite where like, we're in another country clients taping and someone's like going for a walk in the park clients doing a live recording. And the guy's like, my other dude is like, yo, you can't walk through here. And like, I mean, it's like a little Jewish lady. So she's like not hearing it. Like, like good luck. Like, she's like, you know, you know, her It's like a little old Jewish couple. They're like, hey, mister, like, this is our house. You know, and then it turns into this thing. Client's looking over like, really, guys? You know, and, I, you know, I slid in there and I did the whole kind of, sir, ma'am, I apologize. Is there any way at all? You know, you can uh, maybe take a different path, maybe go around. Unfortunately, we're recording live. I apologize for any disrespect (laughs) you might be feeling right now, you know. And they were like, for you, okay. This guy, (laughs) I was like, I had to look at my boy. And, but it worked, you know, and it worked quickly.
2: But how many times in your career have you had to make up for someone else?
1: yeah that bring trying to bring the average up you know you show up to the venue after your advanced guy's been there and the, all the house security is treating you like you guys are a bunch of jerks you haven't even you haven't even met him yet <laughs> you know that, that has happened a lot um and it shouldn't it doesn't need to happen you know it's that false bravado piece i feel like you know yeah what would you say about so crisis communication you said is something you teach what would be the ABCs of crisis communication? If someone was like, oh, it sounds interesting. What do I need to know about it? Okay,
2: so to be a good crisis communicator, you actually have to try to understand what the real problem is. People be <clears throat> worked up, and in crisis, it is very difficult to get someone to be logical and start focusing on solutions. Okay. So the first thing to do... You were talking about like adrenaline and when people are very, very excited, you've got to help them to get back down to a much more normal level in order to, um, get them to work towards any type of, um, the first part of crisis communication, you've got to get to where you have a real interest in people. Somebody who wants to be a good crisis communicator has interest in doing this for a career, you have to take a long look at yourself and say, am I capable of letting other people talk, being a great listener, and then when it's time interjecting, but at the same time, I've got to make sure that they're... you're you're putting them ahead of you. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like dealing with with kids. It's kind of like dealing with with people who just really are angry with you, even though it has nothing to do with you. You've got to be able to not take things personally. Mm-hmm. You talk about emotional intelligence. That's oh yeah, yeah. intelligence. God. You you absolutely because they're not mad at you. They're just anger so they'll take it out on you um Mm -hmm. you have to be able to put them first and work through their problem with them and understand that time is your friend
3: okay
2: If if you think about when you're upset if someone is now talking with you and time is passing and more time is passing remaining that upset or that agitated way up here very hard to
1: do absolutely you got to work at it like it takes focus like i can do it for a while but i i don't do that anymore ever but when i was little i used to drive myself on staying. you know of course till i got a spanking about it but yeah <laughs> that's funny so time is on your side
2: Time, time typically is your friend, and if you've got a situation that's volatile or dangerous, the more time that you can get to pass without someone being harmed, it, the more likely it is that no one will be harmed. Um, as as because people become, it, it's a very heightened sense, it's a very focused intensity, and that's going to dissipate the body. And mine have a very, very hard time staying at that level.
1: Ah, that level of intensity. So um,
2: anyone who wants to do this type of crisis communication, talk with people, I mean, I've been a hostage negotiator for better part of 13 or 14 years, but uh-huh. you have to understand that it's very rare that you're going to be talking with people who have taken hostages like in the movies where it's for benefit, it's for gain, it's uh, in domestic violence type situations, uh-huh. it's people who feel a complete loss of control, so you're trying to help them feel some um, way of taking control back, which means focus has to be on them and not uh-huh. on them. yeah. So it takes a it takes a personality type who can do that and and have that level of compassion, but at the same time, working in the background, you may be that guy who has to talk someone into putting themselves in harm's way.
1: Hmm. Like talk them into jail? Like how do you mean?
2: Definitely talk them into jail, but I. <laughs>
1: He's like, that's normal talking midnight. Yes, that. That's
2: just normal. <laughs> the slow you're, Tuesday. You're not telling them things are going to be okay, because long term they may not be okay. Yeah. Um, is long term the future may be prison. Yeah. But that, um, no one wants to harm them. That this is very few people are extremely fatalistic, meaning they don't necessarily want to be harmed or die at that moment. Even when they post it on Facebook doesn't make it true.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Right, right, right. That's interesting.
2: Um, there, There is some level of self-preservation going on. So but no, to that. you as a hostage or crisis negotiator may have to talk someone into putting themselves in a position where if this isn't going well, if the tactical leader says or the incident commander says this. This isn't going well and this looks like these people could be in harm's way. I may need to talk someone into getting themselves in a position where they can be taken out. Interesting. Wow. And you have to have that in your mind that you can do that.
1: Oh. So this is a lot like so this is a lot like anything, you know, it's like a, it's it's like a, you have to be it's like going to war. It's like a form of it's a form of combat. <laughs> you well, know, it can a doubt. be without yeah. a doubt
2: It is, um, and say, I've had it described to me as you know, it's it's a it's a strategy game. Well, I, I don't like comparing anything that involves people's lives to a game.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, okay,
2: but it is. It's it's using strategy. Um, there obviously there are techniques that you want to use to de-escalate people, to get them to start thinking about why they may not want to do what it is they're doing. Whether mm-hmm. you have family members, I mean, you're looking for that hook, that that set of circumstances that brings them back down to reality. Mm-hmm. And, and that can be difficult to do. Um, It can be very difficult to deal with someone who feels like they have absolutely nothing to lose.
1: Yeah. And so what you have to do is find find something they're still attached to. Find some type of leverage within that soup of misery and hopelessness that they have.
2: That's very well put. Yes, that's exactly what you're looking for
1: and then if you uh, then tactically if it seems like there's still a danger to everyone you've got to help the tactical team do what they need to do so that the innocent people (laughs) are actually okay at the end of the crisis
2: absolutely my goal when I arrive is that everyone including the suspect goes on from the situation safely um, it, it's not always possible.
1: <clears throat> wow, interesting. Does does it happen more often than not? Is it
2: in in my career? It, um, I've had one instance where it, it didn't go as I was hoping for when I arrived. Very few people are so overly committed to this plan. And then when they put their family members in it, those are people you can usually talk out. I had one, I had one gentleman who, uh, he, he knew it meant a lifetime in prison after this. He'd been to prison before he knew that was his own function. He did let the female go and then he committed suicide as as opposed to going back to prison.
1: Back to prison. Understood. Uh, Is there a difference between uh, crisis communication and hostage negotiation? If so, what would those be? There
2: there is, but hostage negotiation involves a lot of crisis communication. Um, Crisis communication is the style of... Um, You're active listening. You're listening for all the things that this person says, but also maybe more of what it it truly means or what it means to them. You're looking for something underlying in it. Um, You also use a team. This isn't a one-person show. Um, Mm. You've got other detectives who are trying to gather as much intel for you as they possibly can. Okay. Um, this is this guy's background one of the things we do of course is scour social media what oh yeah person posted in the last 30 days the last you know, week the weekend what and try to figure out what got us to where we are right now how did we <clears throat> get here um, and, that, and that can be complicated, but at the same time, it's so useful because that's how you start unwinding it and getting to where you need to be helpful to this person. And helpful just may be you get them to survive the incident.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, so it's like verbal de-escalation as part of crisis communication is then just the intensity of the incident goes up as part of kind of the hostage negotiation.
2: Absolutely.
1: Interesting. Are there any like do's and don'ts of hostage negotiation? Like very bad idea. Make sure you do these. Any like that come to mind?
2: There are... Okay, so bad ideas. Why to a hostage taker? Here's why. I'm not saying that you... You wouldn't lie. What I'm saying is, if you do, and they figure it out, your credibility is shot.
1: Yeah, you just get someone else on the phone. Like
2: <laughs> you, you might as well go because they're not talking to you anymore. Any rapport that you have built is now destroyed. Yeah. Um, don't don't overpromise or mm-hmm. things you absolutely can't do. Don't tell them that. Yeah, I'll do that you may want to tell them i'll have to check on that i have i have bosses too and maybe that buys you time but don't don't oversell and underdeliver mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and and be sincere with people again because there there may be people where you have to deal with them again mm-hmm.
3: So wow.
2: we built this rapport with them. Suicidal, barricaded. cycles <laughs> they're in their home. You're now communicating with them. If you destroy a any type of rapport, if you you're in a community where you may be the only person who's going to have this type of communication with them, and now they don't trust, believe, or have any interest in speaking with you, that can be very difficult.
1: Yeah, geez. So be genuine. (laughs) Don't tell lies. Uh and uh sounds like, you know, good rules for humanity. Sounds like communication in general. Yeah, exactly. Don't make it about yourself, you know. Um any misconceptions. I know you you said it's not like the usual, you know, people kidnap like, hey, give me I want one million dollars. Like it's not like that. It's usually like people at the you know it, bottom it, of the barrel or low end of does
2: exist, but very very little in this country. I think that's primarily um some places in South America have kind of made a sport out of it um, <laughs> it's, yeah. it, it can be very dangerous, but misconceptions about hostage negotiation is that you're going to get this done in fifteen minutes that you're okay. gonna do, uh, that it's going to be fast that um it, it doesn't take real effort and skill yeah. um, and that uh, the people who are in crisis that it's not legitimate that uh, they're ju- you know sure there are people who they're looking for some type of notoriety and of course if I can stream this live on like that, I'll, I'll get some notoriety mm-hmm. but, but who for the most part, who would put themselves through this if uh, if it wasn't real? This is somebody who was facing a long time um, away. That yeah, kind of, um, I think those were some misconceptions. Um, yeah, that uh, take it seriously.
1: <laughs> yeah, how do you how do you gain rapport with someone who knows? you're the police and they know they're going to go to jail. Like, and they know there's almost a, almost definitely somewhat of a bad ending to this thing. Like, how does this, you know, like, how do you even get them to talk with you on the phone? I guess they want to get something out of the deal. So they got to talk with you.
2: That can be the hardest part is actually making that initial contact. Mm. Once you've got that contact, and I've been hung up on a hundred times, uh, yeah, and and that's fine too. But mm-hmm. in general, people who are in this level of crisis, they want to tell someone about it. And if huh. if you, through your actions, through your communication style, convince them that you're someone who's willing to listen, they'll talk to you. Really. You don't have to be anything like them. Um, The only other thing that I would tell you, though, is every crisis negotiation team needs a female perspective on it. Mm -hmm. Don't ever think that it's necessarily your best option for a crisis negotiator, a hostage negotiator. Mm -hmm. Okay. I've been I've been on a call out where. It almost blew up on us when we had a woman make contact with him because that's the reason he was upset in the first place.
1: <laughs> he was like, I don't want to talk to any
2: more women. <laughs> that's exactly what happened.
1: Yeah. Oh, man, that's funny. That's, I mean, it's not funny. I understand. I, I don't understand. It's like, <laughs> so, um, yeah, oh, good but, time.
2: But building rapport is, it can be, It's time consuming, recognize it's not gonna happen in 10 minutes, that uh, getting someone to trust you to want to tell you what's going on in their life is gonna take a little bit of time. But once you've got them doing it, it's it's pretty incredible just what people will tell you, knowing full well they get it at some level that this ends with me in handcuffs, heading off
1: to jail yeah best case scenario (laughs) you know um that's interesting man i look at this as i look at this as like uh so communication is something we all do you know but you're doing it at this high level high stakes it's like you're like driving a fighter jet and the rest of us have to like go and like, you know, go through our normal days, you know, or like you're like in the NFL and like we got to go play, play football here. You know, it's not as high stakes, it's not as intense, but I feel like if I can understand the the principles and the, the way, you know, that you're doing these things, I think it can really be advantageous to everyone in their everyday life. let alone when they're doing security work. You know, because everything good and bad that comes in and out of people's lives, I believe a lot of things come through relationships and communication is like the blood that flows through these relationships, even if it's a momentary contact. So this is just so interesting to me, man. I could sit (laughs) sit here and dig around in this stuff, you know, forever. What would you say were the hardest lessons you learned out in the field?
2: You can do everything right. Right so to speak, and still have it go wrong, still have it go, have the situation go out of control simply because the the person who had, who caused this situation wanted it to go out of control. <clears throat> um, in police work, you know, we're, we're often we're in a position where we're responding to someone who has Mm -hmm. decided to take a particular action. Yeah. And you get there and you do everything that you've been trained to do the way you have at the end of the day, you you thought this was somebody you could save and no matter, despite your best efforts, um, he shot himself.
1: Yeah. Man. That's tough. And you gain, like, you make, like, a little relationship with the person. You're sitting there kind of talking with them, kind of pulling for them a little bit. Do you um, hedge your emotions against this now, or is it, you know what I mean? Like, it seems like something, when you're first starting the job, can be really tough. Because you put your heart into things, you know? I don't know. Like, as a, even as a psychologist, it's like, you, in the beginning, you kind of are going through this ride, you know? Not that I'm a psychologist, but it seems like it. Um, How have you dealt with that? (laughs) I think if you're going to be effective, um, Mm -hmm.
2: each time, even decades in, you still have to be just as enthusiastic and just as sincere as you were in the first place. Um, Mm -hmm. I think we have known for years in my profession that you need to talk to others about this. And and we have groups, um, and then you have after a situation like that, um, you have mandatory counseling afterward, um, Mm -hmm. because otherwise you're on the risk of losing people. You, um, even just, I mean, I'm sure you saw that in military service, that guys (laughs) check out, they're like, I'm, I'm all done here. Um,
1: that was enough. Um, yeah. (laughs) And they can just tap out, man.
2: Right. So, You've got to you've got to take care of yourself um, psychologically and emotionally after something like that, and understand it's kind of like EP work too. That when it goes well, when it, everything goes well, that can be kind of an intoxicating thing too. That you're yeah. on top of the world, and you think, man, I'm really really good at this. <laughs> I
1: want That's to that. think so bad that I'm good at this. <laughs>
2: Like, and, and you, you kind of have to bring, keep yourself in check, and that's other yeah. people can be very good at this and tell you, you just got lucky, or yeah. you know it was supposed to work out. That, those types of things supposed to, um, as opposed to, look how great I am. And yeah, you you need people who uh, who have no problem telling you exactly what they think.
1: That's good. They will tell you what they think you need to hear too. You know, genuine friends. That's value. So it's, it sounds, it's not about your heart being cold as usual. It's usually, it's, it's about the resilience of a healthy heart and um, making sure you keep yourself healthy internally to deal with the rigors of the job. Really? Absolutely. Solid. What would you say is your uh, proudest moment in the field?
2: Um, proudest moment is when I figured out that I didn't have all the answers, but I, I was to the point in my career where I knew how, where to go to get the answers. Um, I would tell people, don't ever be afraid to tell people you don't know. Young, young people, young professionals Security workers
1: notorious for this.
2: You don't want to say I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, when I had enough experience and enough knowledge to be comfortable with myself, I think my top was recognizing that I'm really good at being me and I'm comfortable being me. Okay. Um, that people will recognize. If you're not, if you're trying to be something you, um,
1: yeah, we're all psychologists naturally,
2: <laughs> and and I think it comes through. I I think people can hide it for a little bit, but it's very difficult to be something you're not. Um, mm-hmm. I, I had I've had a couple of situations where I've really been able to talk to people, connect with people, and. What I I like to do is check on them six months later, a year later, and see, okay, now, how are you still doing? How did this go for you?
1: Hmm. Yeah. That sounds like it could be rewarding. Go ahead.
2: If you tell people you're going to, then do it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you bet.
1: Yeah, that's huge. You better do it. Because they're sitting there thinking like, yeah, right, you know, top guy.
2: (laughs) And, and it's amazing the response that you get when six months later you send them an email or you shoot them a text. And mm-hmm. like, wow, this guy actually did care.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This guy actually did care, which is rare now, you know, in the world, our digital world, you know, it's so yeah, priceless. It is. I think you know, it is. Absolutely. Um, advice to someone considering getting into the field. You know, causes negotiation causes.
3: Do
2: it and do it for all the right reasons. Um, okay. The world needs you right now more than ever. Be part of this. I, I'm telling you, as far as from my experience, it's incredibly rewarding. It um, you will understand just how much effect you can have on people's lives, but wow. but that comes that comes at a cost because you. Will understand just how much effect you can have on people's lives. So you're going to do it do it as well as you possibly can. You deserve that and the people that you that you serve deserve you being the best
1: that you can be. Outstanding. This sounds like the stuff I'll be talking about on Instagram, man. You got to unlock your potential so you can serve your loved ones, your God on the highest level, you know, your loved ones who, you know, your your loved one who chose to make you their champion, your children who just were given, <laughs> you know, like they didn't get to choose and you're just, you're their champion for, they're all counting on you. You got to bring the best of yourself out in order to be able to serve on those higher levels, you know, that's good stuff. I love it. Um, our last few closing questions here has been good talking with you, Jeff, for sure, as, as I knew it would be. Um, favorite quote, mantra, saying? <coughs> um, I, I think my favorite
2: mantra is be sincere in order to be effective. Um, it, <laughs> it comes from a business school standpoint. That's actually, I'd love to take credit. It's, it's part of the <clears throat> business school. And they did a study that the most effective CEOs also had the their um, the people working for them felt that their level of sincerity. They were rated with extremely high levels of sincerity. They didn't all have the highest ratings for their effectiveness or how how great of a communicator they were but what they had was incredibly high scores for being sincere for being genuine if you want to be great at anything really put your heart and soul into
1: it this is this is good stuff it's so true like i mean it's just it's good you know it's like um i guess it strikes a chord with me because there are times when I've tried to speak or present something and if it's not coming from my heart, it's like powerless. It's like a clanging symbol. It's like a waste of time. You know, I'm like, I'm like, I even hate listening to me talk about this, but if it's sincere, it's got like a whole nother energy to it. Um, and it's like people kind of talk about find your passion and your purpose and all these things, but this sincerity, uh, way of being, you know, of state of operation i really believe i know that it's really really powerful when other humans experience it especially now it's kind of like respect it goes an extra long way because there's just nothing sacred anymore <laughs> it feels like sometimes it yeah you know, Someone's like this person's sincere and genuine it's like you know you're you're really valuable to the other person but uh even you know i, I just see it i see that as a very valuable thing to have in many areas of life. When I've been wrong, when I've made mistakes, when my clients have been like, hey dude, what were you thinking about? If I can sincerely, you know, explain like I really believed this. It was a mistake. Um and I really won't do it again. You know, and if I can be sincere in these these very important moments, it's been extremely, extremely positive the outcomes. So I like that man. Be sincere to be effective. That's huge. I'm going to take that one with me for sure.
2: Absolutely. It's it's not mine, but, but I like it because it, it's so, it's so concise and it really, people can tell when you, when it's not in your heart, it shows.
1: Yeah. What habits would you say if you had a habit that uh, you believe makes you a better professional or better at life, what would it be?
2: I am early to everything. (laughs) <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> and I'm always prepared. Be, When you're going to a business meeting, when you're going to a lunch, no matter what it is, be prepared. Um, it doesn't take that much extra time. And it just conveys how important the other person is, how important the meeting is to you because you walk in with a page of notes and you typed up an agenda. It tells everyone at that table that this mattered
1: to you. Yeah, that's awesome. I can do better at that one. Like I, I you know, like I'm one of those like uh creative minded folks. <laughs> so I have a tendency to just show up and freestyle it and wing it, and it's great, it's done. But I'm always deeply impressed when I look next to me and there's that guy who's got like, hey man, I sent you the agenda for things that we're gonna look at, and like he's there, he's early. I'm always like, that's a guy I got to make sure is on my team, you know.
2: That's exactly what I would tell you too, is don't change you. <clears throat> Surround yourself with a couple of guys like that, like what you just described. That's, yeah. Um, I'm that guy, but I work with people who are a little bit more, they're, they're just, they're going all the time and, and they, they're they great and they're really, really good at what they do. So compliment each other. <clears throat>
1: Yeah, that's good to go. I'm still going to try to be a little bit more (laughs) of those things. (laughs) You know, never hurts nothing, never hurts nobody. Awesome, man. Well, it's been a great conversation. I really appreciate, you know, the time, the schedule, you know, and all that stuff. This has been fantastic information that I think is relevant to everyone listening, no matter what they do for a living. Um, So that's been awesome. Thanks so much for coming on with me, Jeff.
2: No problem at all. Thank you for having me. And uh, please let me know if I can answer anything else for
1: you. Oh yeah, absolutely. We have one more question. What are you up to these days, man? What are you doing these days? Where can people find you?
2: Okay, so I, I'm i still with the police department. I'm I'm eligible to retire and cool. I really enjoy what I discovered is I really enjoy EP work. Um I like the advanced portion. I like working with the client. I, I I've enjoyed this. I've had the chance now to do this for several years. We have a very large tennis tournament. Sounds kind of silly, but it's one of the biggest (laughs) in the world. (laughs) There you Um, go. In in our small town. So I I get to work that, I really enjoy that. And so I'm now looking um, maybe in a corporate world, something like that, but uh, it's interesting to me. I'm, I'm enjoying things. I'm here in Southwest Ohio. I'm right near Cincinnati, and uh, we we have some light snow falling today, which is wow. very unusual for you, I know. But uh, <laughs> so it, it's it's uh it's good. I'm in a great place in my in my career, in my life. So I'm looking to see what uh, what comes next for me.
1: Okay, awesome. Well, the executive reagent industry is, I think, is fantastic to transition into, especially with your mindset and the way that you, your way of doing relationships and people and, you know, doing, our industry is growing so much right now, the opportunities I'm seeing. So I'm excited to see where you, yeah, where you fit in and all that stuff. I, I love that. I would love to be on a detail that you're running, man. <laughs> I can already tell for sure.
2: That would be fun. Yes. Well, and, and I think you, I think as a professional, you try to surround yourself with others who, who will compliment you, who will, who you're comfortable with. Sometimes you don't get to choose the uh, the <clears> team <throat> you work with,
1: but it's, yeah. it's awfully nice when you do. That's the truth. Awesome. All right. Good to go. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. I appreciate you, man. Once again, this has been great. It's good to see you again, you know, and um, yeah, you know, where to find me. Uh, thank you for your time, sir. All right,
0: Byron. Thank you. Boom. And to support this podcast, go to executiveprotectionlifestyle.com and contribute to our Patreon account. That Patreon account is what... Helps me make this podcast possible, contributing to this brand, what we're doing here, making it so that I can bring better guests on, making it so that we can plan more events, and just expand the contribution to the private security industry, and also to make an America a safer place by teaching people how to protect themselves and the mindset behind that, the lifestyle behind that. You guys are already killing it. One dollar a month. Five dollars a month, ten bucks a month, twenty bucks a month, whatever you can do that you know you would probably just lose in the mattress anyway or spend on McDonald's, hey, you want to put it towards something that's going to good use, put it towards a podcast and get involved in our, our Patreon account at executiveprotectionlifestyle.com. And if you want to find me, that's Byron um, you know, do whatever you can, contribute whatever you can to that Patreon account because it makes all of these things possible, ladies and gentlemen. So much love. And is one of the fastest growing, if not the fastest growing executive protection, uh, Facebook group online. So if you haven't joined the Facebook group, join the Facebook group, uh, follow us on Instagram and check us out at executive protection, If you want to find me, that's Byron And I'm on all the social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook as well. So until the next podcast, y'all stay sharp out there. And as I say it, one mind, many weapons. Talk soon. Out.